Good morning, how are you? A little tired? Is it hard to get out of bed this morning? You know, uh, once a year we get uh, the gift of a 25 hour day, and then once a year we get the curse of the 23 hour day, right? And that was, uh, that's today. Uh, well, it's good to be with you. It's good to uh, be worshiping with you. My name is King, and uh, I have the great joy of teaching God's Word this morning. Uh, I do want to highlight though, that we are three weeks away from Easter. Uh, three Sundays from now, we'll be celebrating the resurrection. And uh, so on the Friday before Easter, on Good Friday, we will be meeting here at 7 p.m. that Friday night uh, for our Good Friday gathering. And uh, if you've never come before or if you've never been to one before, it's an opportunity for us to really reflect on the meaning and the death of Jesus. And it's a very somber service, very dark. Um, and it's for us to just understand uh, the great uh, sacrifice uh, that, that God made His Son uh, for us. And so that night we'll have uh, a short message, we'll be doing some readings, uh, we'll be singing some songs, and we'll have an extended time of prayer. And so I really want to encourage you to mark your calendars on March 29th and join us here uh, on Good Friday. And then on Easter, on Sunday morning, uh, we usually have uh, about 100 extra people uh, every year join us on Easter Sunday. And so I want to encourage you to invite your friends, your neighbors, uh, somebody that you know uh, who hasn't been to church in a while, maybe never been to church. Start thinking about them now, uh, praying for them, and, and trying to find an opportunity to say, hey, you know, on Easter Sunday, why don't you come with me to church? Because not only is it a, a great day for the church, but we also have a potluck here at Cornerstone every year. And uh, if you haven't heard anything about the potluck yet, um, and you would like to help out, we try to make this a whole church-wide event. So that everybody's helping to bring something and supply something. That's the meaning of potluck, right? We all help out, right? And so if you haven't heard about it yet, maybe your, your small group hasn't mentioned it, or you're at a campus and no one said anything, or you'd like to help, bring drinks or cookies, make some brownies or a salad, whatever, please email us. Uh, just go to the welcome table, fill out one of the communication forms. Let us know, hey, I'd love to help out the potluck any way possible. Let us know, we need all the help we can get to feed not only this crowd and many of our spring break students that are listening, but also 100 visitors and guests who join us on Sunday. And so to make that an amazing meal, a kind of fellowship, a kind of celebration for the resurrection, you need to really be putting this together. So uh, if that's you, if you'd like to help out, please let us know. We'd love to, uh, to figure out how we can do this together. Uh, well, today, um, let's turn to our Bibles in Mark chapter 12. And uh, we are now well into the second half of Mark's Gospel. And Mark now begins to address the question, what Jesus came to do? Whereas in the first half of his Gospel, Mark was really trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is this man? Uh, is he just a good teacher? Is he the son of a, uh, is he a carpenter? Um, is he a rabbi? Is he a magician? Uh, is he a physician? And he was healing people. And, uh, you know, that question is answered when Peter finally says, You are the Christ. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and he is transfigured before them. The glory of God comes out from his face, from his body, and they experience his glory. Their lives are changed forever. Um, and now we begin uh, Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 12. And uh, this is the first time. Mark records a parable since chapter 4. Now Mark doesn't write many of Jesus' teachings. He really focuses on Jesus' uh, ministry, uh, his actions, his healings, uh, a lot of the things that he does. But uh, uh, this is the first time, Mark chapter 4, and the last time, actually, that we will be reading 
a parable that Jesus gave. And so this is pretty significant. This is an important parable. Beginning in verse uh, 1, Mark chapter 12, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this down the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. Hence said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's tell him the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Having you read this scripture, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. This is the word of God. Can we bow this morning in the word of prayer? Father, would you help us this morning to understand the meaning of this parable? Would you help us to, to listen uh, and uh, allow your spirit to move within our minds and our hearts and our lives to have its way with us? Lord God, so that we are not the same. Lord, so that we are changed, so that we are challenged, so that we are convicted, so that we are renewed, so that we are encouraged. So Father, now fall down upon us. May your holy presence be thick in this room. And that Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, be acceptable to the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, Jesus is giving this parable, and uh, everybody knows what he's saying and who he's saying it to. It's kind of like a, a father who uh, has just returned from a business trip, and uh, his wife has told him that his son and daughter misbehaved wildly. And that uh, the entire time that they were misbehaving, they were saying, oh, you wait until daddy comes home. You wait until daddy comes home. So daddy comes home, and daddy comes home, and he sits down at the table with his son and his daughter, and he says, once upon a time, there was a father who went on a journey. And while he was on a journey, his children were misbehaving badly. They were not listening to their mother, they were creating a mess, and they constantly were fighting and getting into trouble. Then the father returned home. What do you think should happen to the children? And they're thinking, uh, is this a story, a real story, or is this about us, right? And the father says, somebody's going to get hurt. You know that, right? And he said, you're about to get punished, right? And then the owner went away. And as uh, the owner of the vineyard sent many messengers to collect his earnings, uh, the tenants rejected these messengers. Ultimately, 
The owner sent his son, and he too was rejected and killed. And so Jesus says, what should be done to these tenants? And, uh, you know, this image of a vineyard was very vivid in the minds of Jesus' hearers. We hear about the vineyard uh, today, and we, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of a symbol uh, in our Christian faith, but in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, the, the, the prophets cast this vision of a vineyard that represents the people of God. The vineyard was Israel, was God's people. And this vineyard belonged to God. And uh, God entrusted the, the priests and the worship leaders and the, 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 the religious leaders to be the tenants, to, to tend to the vineyard, to help them bear fruit for God, to care for them, to protect them. Uh, and, uh, and then God sent many prophets, many messengers, uh, to speak to the nation of Israel so that their hearts would be turned back to God, but they rejected them. And so, as Jesus is telling this parable, the religious rulers, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, they know exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking to them. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of the time. And he's exhorting them, he's rebuking them, and he's convicting them of their disobedience. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at this parable in three ways. I want to look at three relationships. I want to look at the actual relationship in the parable. I want to look at the relationship then that reflects in the time that Jesus was giving the parable. And then I want us to step back and look at the bigger picture, the bigger story of how we may be involved in this parable and in the same relationship that we'll be discussing. So the first relationship we need to look at is the relationship between the owner and the tenants. Okay? Jesus says, uh, a man came to the vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a tent for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. Okay, now, this is a man, and this is very common at the time. Wealthy men, they would go around, they would buy a pot of land, they would invest in the soil, they would, they would plant a vineyard, and then they would hire people to, to tend to the vineyard as they would go away on a journey, or they would go back home, or they would find out other lands where they could build other vineyards. These were entrepreneurs. These were a very successful businessmen. And we see this happening all the time today, don't we? There may be a businessman who has some wealth, and he wants to buy a business, or start a new venture. And so he'll use his own money, his own resources, he'll take his own capital, and he'll invest in a business. He'll buy a building, he'll buy a, a storefront, or he'll, he'll buy some intellectual property or something, and then he will, uh, he will come up with a business plan. This is my plan, this is how I'm going to be successful, this is how I'm going to make money. And then he'll hire a CEO, or a president, or a manager, and a whole host of employees. And he will say, this is my business plan, you are to follow it, and you are to make money for my business. And if I make money, guess what? You make money. If I become rich, you become rich. And in the same way here, if this owner's vineyard prospers because he tells these tenant farmers how to tend the vineyard, then the tenants as well will prosper. And so the way this works is you listen to the owner's instructions, the business plan, and you work for the owner's wealth, the owner's profit, for the owner's fame and fortune. And as a result, you will receive much blessing and fame and fortune as well. 
So this is the parable, and Jesus is saying now that you, the nation of Israel, are the vineyard and the, the, the church, the religious leaders, you are the tenants. And you are to lead my people according to my word, my purpose, which is the law. You are to lead these people to give me glory, to give me worship, to give me honor. However, instead of listening to my word, you are living according to your own traditions. You have created your own sets of regulations. You have disregarded my word and you have created your own. And now, rather than living for my glory and leading people to my to worship me, you have now led the people to give yourself glory. So that you can esteem yourself, so that you can have control, so that you can have authority, so that you can have fame. So you have done something wrong. And that's the beginning, that's that relationship. Jesus is calling out the tenants who have now misrepresented God and not led according to his word and haven't led the people to give him glory. This is the audience. These are the people Jesus is speaking to. And the problem is, this relationship between the owner and the tenants is now the tenants, instead of being tenants, they start acting like owners. Instead of listening to the owner and doing work for the owner's profit, now they listen to themselves and they work for their own profit and their own gain. They have now become the owners of themselves. They have flipped the tables, so to speak. And instead of submitting to the owner, now they have elevated themselves to the status of owner. We do it the way we want, when we want, how we want. And it's not for anybody but for ourselves. It is for our own benefit, for our own gain, and for our own glory. That's what the religious leaders at the time of Jesus were doing. Now let's step back. Let's look at the big picture. Even though Jesus is speaking to the religious rulers and leaders at the time, how might he be speaking to us today? Well, let's think about it for a second. God is the owner of all. He is the creator of all things. And God is the one who has given us our lives. God is the one who has given us our minds to think with, the desires that we have in our hearts, our talents and our abilities, our skills, our education, our status, our money, our time, the very air that we breathe. God has given these things to us because He owns all of these things. And He wants us to live our lives, how? According to His Word and for His glory. Are we doing that with our lives? Are we living according to God's word and for his glory, or have we taken all of the gifts that God has given us, and rather than living according to his word, we're living according to our own desires, our own self-interest, or our own selfish gain? And, and, and not only have we not given him more, we're living for ourselves now, for my pleasure, for my comfort, for my convenience. In other words, we are walking around like we are the owners, like we own our lives. This is mine. I can think whatever I want to think. I can believe whatever I want to believe. I can desire and have whatever I want to desire and have. I can do whatever. I earned this status. I earned this position. I worked to be in this place at this time to have these resources to do whatever 
We are the blessed ones. And we must remember that we are simply the tenant farmers of the vineyard. And we are to live according to His word and for His glory. And that will be, ultimately, for our own gain as well. Because we will receive the inheritance of being in glory with God and God forever. So that's the first relationship I want to look at. How are you living your life? Are you an owner? Have you rejected God's word and will for your life? Are you living for your own self? Or are you a tenant? You know that there is an owner, a God, who has a wonderful plan for your life. He wants you to live for His glory. Have you surrendered to that? That's the first relationship. The second relationship we see in this parable begins in verse 2. At the harvest time, the owner sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. They seized him, beat him, and sent him away in the hand. And then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. Now, the second relationship I want to look at after the relationship between the owner and the tenant is the tenant. And the messengers, there are messengers here. They send servants, the owners send servants and messengers to do what? To tell the tenants, hey, it's time to, to show what you've done, to, to give the profits to the owner of the vineyard. If, if you are uh, the, the owner of a business, you're going to tell your, your, your employees, hey, you know, well, where are the earnings? Give me the earnings report. How, how have we done this quarter? Wow, wow, we've done well. You know, bonus for you. You know, bonus to be raised for you. You know, here, reward for you. And that's the way it works in this world, doesn't it? And that's the way it was supposed to work there as well. These messengers go back to the vineyard and they would tell the, the tenant farmers, okay, give us the owner's share and you move off the rest. And if you have an abundance out here, then you live in abundance. And, but you have to give the owner what's due to him. But the tenants reject the messengers and the servants. They beat them up. They kill some of them. They hit them on the head. They send, send them back empty-handed. And this parable, again, was speaking at Jesus' time to the many prophets that God would send to the, the nation of Israel, the vineyard, and exhort them and rebuke them and preach and prophesy to them and say, turn your hearts back to God, you sin-fed people. And so God didn't send just one prophet, He didn't send just two prophets. In the Bible we have 18 prophets, and there are more. Many who come in the name of God, speaking in the name of the Lord, to call the people back to God, to live according to His word and for His glory. And yet how did the nation of Israel and the religious leaders treat these messengers? They despised them. They discarded them. Some of them they literally beat and killed. Just read the book of Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet because of the insult and disgrace and the shame and his broken heart because he knew he had an important word for the people of God and yet they would reject it. So the messengers were all the prophets that God sent to his people. Just like all of the servants the owner sent to the tenants. Again, let's step back. How like this speaking to us today. Well, consider this. God, in His great love, mercy, and faithfulness, repeatedly, over and over and over again, speaks to you. God doesn't just send you one message or one messenger. 
God doesn't just give you one warning or three strikes from out. But God, in His unconditional love, continues to send His Word into your life through various means and messengers. Some of those messengers may be family and friends. Maybe you have friends who have come into your life and said, Hey bro, your pride is getting the best of you. You need to humble yourself and go to the Lord and seek repentance and you need to seek contrition. You need to get right with God. Maybe you don't want to somebody in your family, brother, sister, or parent, and calls you, hey, how are things going? Uh, you, know, you know, have you been going to church? How have you been using your time? Right, there are different people that come into your life, and what do we do? Do we accept it? Oh, you're so right, I am prideful. You know, I'm wasting my time, I'm living selfishly. Do we listen? No. What do we do? We do what the people in the parable do, don't we? We reject them. And how do we reject them? We don't beat them upside the head and strike them and kill them. I hope not. Please. I mean, I'm a messenger too. Don't, don't do that to me. But what do we do? We crucify them. We say, you're a hypocrite. How dare you say that to me? Who, who died in Aiden King? We, we look at our parents, we look at the flaws in their lives and their character. And we latch on to that. Dad, how dare you tell me what to do with my time, how to live my life? Look at the way you live yours. So what do we do? We reject these messengers. Maybe a messenger could be your church. It could be a ministry that you're a part of. And God is speaking to you through your pastor. Right? God is speaking to you through your small group leader. Through your campus leader. There's some of the staff that are critical leaders. God is trying to speak to you and turn your heart to Him. And what do you do? You ignore? You disregard? Or sometimes you just straight up say you're full of it. Who are you? You die and you can And we reject those messengers as well. Or, what about the ultimate messenger? The obvious one that we don't tend to think about very often. The messenger of life. See, we think we're independent and self-sufficient and indestructible. We think we're owners. I don't need anyone, I don't need anything. All I need is what I know and what I have. Forget the rest. And then life shows up. Life happens. You get sick. Or someone you love gets sick. You experience a tragedy, a disappointment, a loss. One day you have everything, the next day you have nothing. And then what does life tell you? Oh, you thought you were in control, didn't you? You thought you had it all under control. Well, who's in control now, mister? Who's in control now, missus? You thought you had it all figured out. And then the, the rug got yanked up from under your feet. And what are you standing on now? And that's what life does, doesn't it? It reminds us we're not in control. It reminds us that we aren't the owners. That we aren't independent and we aren't self-sufficient. Life reminds us that we are dependent and we are, we are, uh, we, we need, we depend on others and something else beyond ourselves. That's the messenger of life. So how are you doing? How are you been learning from these messengers in your life? Has God been trying to speak to you and be to you? And have you been accepting and listening to His Word and living for His glory? Or have you been ignoring Him and living your own way? Who cares if I'm sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Who are you to tell me that's wrong? Get out of here. I don't want to listen to you. 
You're not even before you, boss. Who are you to tell me how I should spend my money? Look at you, you have so much. You know, I don't have as much as you, so, so why are you telling me how to spend my money? That I should be more generous, or I should give, or I should invest, or save. Who are you? Who do you think you are? So we shut people up. We don't listen to them. And we fight back. And we argue. And we kick them out of our lives. Maybe this is you, maybe it isn't. But that's the second relationship. The relationship between the tenants and the messengers. And then finally, we have the last relationship in this parable. The relationship between the tenants and the son of the owner. Jesus says in the parable, verse 6, He had one left, the owner had one left to send, the son whom he loved, the beloved son. Think about that for a second. Who in his right mind, the owner, after sending all of these servants and messengers to his business, and they're all sent back empty-handed, beaten up, some killed, right, in body bags, you know, what owner in his right mind would then say, oh, I'm just going to send my beloved son so that he can also receive the same kind of treatment. Again, that would be us trying to put ourselves in this parable and interpret it the way that we want. But at that time, you have to remember and realize that the son of an owner was the heir, received all the inheritance, and therefore had every legal right to be able to speak as if he or he was the owner, the one that uh, owns and had every right of authority over a piece of land or a business or a vineyard. And so for the son to go was the same as the owner himself going. What happened to the order of Israel? Why did he just go through? We don't know what Jesus is being parallel. It's a story. Okay? Just listen to what he said. So he sent his son, his only son, his beloved son whom he loved. And he says, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him. The inheritance will be ours. So they took him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. Now what you have to notice here is that, that up until this point, everybody knows exactly what Jesus is talking about and where he's going with this parable. They know that the vineyard is Israel. They know the tenants are the leaders. They know that the owner is God. They know that the messengers are the prophets. But now, Jesus brings up the Son. And now they're conflicted. They're like, okay, who is the Son? And some are beginning to think that it's Jesus. But remember, Jesus doesn't refer to himself as the Son until now. So they're not really sure. But there have been two other times in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus was called the Son. In Mark 1 and in Mark 10. In Mark 1, when he's baptized, a voice from heaven comes down and says, This is my Son, whom I love. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, look at this two weeks ago, Jesus goes up the mountain and a voice comes out from heaven and speaks down and says, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. And now Jesus says, The owner sends a Son whom he loves. So who could he be talking about? He's talking about himself. I am the Son. I am the Son that God has sent that you would listen to me and respect me so that you would live according to his word before his glory. But the tenants said to one another, no, he is the heir, let's kill him. So they took him, killed him, and threw him out. And what happens? What happens in a couple of chapters? They take Jesus, they beat 
treat him, they punish him, punish him, and they kill him on the cross. This is the relationship. In the parable, this is the relationship that Jesus is pointing to himself. If we take a couple of steps back, where are we? What is our relationship with the Son? You see, it's not as easy as we think. Because the truth is, the reason why these people act this way, and actually, if you're honest with yourself, the reason why we act like we're owners, if we're honest enough to admit that, is because deep within our heart, there is sin that tells us we are independent and self-sufficient. Adam and Eve acted on this temptation in the garden, they took and they bit from the apple because they wanted to be what? Owners. They wanted to be equal with God. And ever since, we have wanted and desired in ourselves to be owners and equal with God. And so we reject God. And we reject His messengers. And ultimately, we reject His Son. Jesus says in John 15, when He talks to the disciples, the world, if the world hates you, speaking to His disciples, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as a son. You belong to it. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Why does the world hate you? Because they hated me first. They hated the Son, Jesus first. The world has rejected Jesus and his enemies with God. Paul says in Romans 8, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is what? Is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, His word, nor can it do so, nor can it live for His glory. Who are the sinful minds? We're all sinful. And this is how you know you're a Christian, or you're becoming one. You're no longer hostile to God. Jesus is no longer a public enemy number one. He's not a threat to your life. You're not afraid to become a Christian because if you do, then you won't have fun anymore. Then you can't make a lot of money. You can't sleep with whoever you want. You can't go out and live your dreams. No, you're not afraid of that anymore. God is not now your enemy who's trying to take away your joy. God is the owner. And all the things that you do have, the desires that you do crave, now you submit and you surrender to Him. And you live for His glory. That's how you know you're a Christian. Because no longer do you not want God in your life, but you know you need Him in your life. You know that you don't have it all figured out, that you're broken deep within, that you have pain that you're still trying to overcome. There's still disappointment that comes into your life day after day. And without eternal hope in the eternal Son, our lives are meaningless. And we're just here today and gone tomorrow. That's how you know you're becoming a Christian. Because you need God. You need someone to give you an eternal purpose that's greater than just living for yourself. And so Jesus says in the parable, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? Friends, now that I've told you this parable, what should the owner do now that he's rejected all of the messengers and now that he's killed the son, what should the owner do? In other words, Jesus is saying, what should God do to you people? And he says, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Having you read this scripture, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous 
in our eyes. Wow. Jesus just tells them straight up, doesn't pull any punches. He says, He will come and kill you. Wow. And he says, Haven't you heard this before? The stone the Lubish rejected became the capstone, the cornerstone. What, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is telling the people who he is and what he came to do. Because the cornerstone, the capstone, was the stone that was rejected. They thought it was useless. They thought they didn't need it. When in fact, as they were building the temple, they realized it was the most important stone to hold up the foundation and the structure and the arch and everything included. In fact, it became the only stone that without it, the whole thing would come crumbling down. And so what Jesus is saying, starting to the people, is this. If you reject me, you can be crushed by the stone, but if you accept me, you can build your entire life on the stone. The choice is yours. Build your life on me, or reject me and be crushed by the weight of the wrath of my Father. It's as clear as it can get. Jesus is going to the cross, and he wants people to know why. Why? Because Paul says in Ephesians 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, you who rejected the Son, you who rejected God, have been brought near through the blood of the Son, through Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the true one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing His flesh from all of His commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, we reject God. It's in our DNA, it's in our nature to, 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 to ignore God, to do it our way, our own way, to be the owners, to act like the owners. The owner sent his son. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that that hostility, that enmity between us and God could be broken and we could be one with him. This is why Jesus came. This is what he came to do. Maybe your entire life you just weren't good. You just didn't know that God cared, that God existed. And you weren't really rejecting him, but you were still living like an owner, weren't you? Still all about you and what you wanted. But now you have a sense that it's not about you. It's about God's word and his glory. And the only reason why you're able to sense that and want that house is because of the work that Christ has done on the cross. So how do we take this home? We've got three weeks to least. We've got to take this home. We've got to process it. We've got to believe it. We've got to accept it. We've got to let this lead to worship and resurrection on Easter Sunday. What do we do with this message? Well, let's just go back and apply the three points. The three relationships. The first relationship, the relationship between the owner and the tenant. How are you living your life? Are you acting like an owner or a tenant? Are you living for yourself? Or are you living for God? Are you living for the owner, the creator of all things? Are you living according to his word? For his glory? Because if you're not, if you want to know practically, how do I know if I'm living for him? It's got to be by his word. If you're living in sin, to, uh, not according to his word, then you're not. You're acting like an owner. 
you're saying, okay, I know the owner said this, but you know what? I'm going to rewrite the owner's manual. I'm going to live the way I want to live. So you're acting like an owner. But if you read the word, the word conviction of sin, and you turn to the word, then you know now that you're acting like the tenant that you were created to be. You got it? That's how you know. But if you refuse the word, I don't care if the Bible says, I want to live the way I want to live, then you're just rewriting the manual. And you are acting like an owner. So think about that. Sure, man. Secondly, the relationship between the tenants and the messengers. Are you allowing the people that God is sending into your life, the circumstances that you're in, are you allowing these things to speak to you in a way to remind you that you are utterly dependent on Him and His mercy and His will and His goodness? Or have you gone the other direction? You've hardened your heart because my life is hard, because my life sucks. Forget God. Well, then you're just, you know, you're just clearly becoming an owner then. I don't need anyone. If my life is going to get right, I need to do it myself. So are you receiving these messages? Are you listening to these messengers? Are you receiving their exhortations and their rebukes, their prayers? As words from God. Not like God himself, but hey, God is speaking to me through this brother. God is speaking to me through this sister. God is speaking to me through this situation. I need to understand how can I live according to his word and for his glory by what this person has brought into my life. Are you listening? Or are you rejecting? And lastly, what do you think of this son? Do you believe that he was the one who you know sin and became sin so that we in our sin we could become righteous? Do you believe that? Do you believe that without the Son you are just damned? You are the one that the order has come to kill. But do you believe that because the Son has come for you that you can be loved, you can become an heir? You can share the joy of salvation. What place does Jesus sit? What, what role does he have in your life? Is Jesus big? Does he influence all that you do? Is your life centered around the cross? Or is Jesus just one of many gods? Jesus is just on the periphery. I'm on the throne. And I turn to Jesus when I need some help. But generally, I've got to figure it out. What is your relationship to this? This is the question. This is what we have to take away. My hope is you'll embrace him, you won't reject him, you'll love him, not hate him, you'll obey him, not disobey him. Because he has come to make you friends. He has come to make you heirs, to make you God's children. Let's take this home with us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth in this parable as we try to wrap not only our minds but our hearts around this teaching. Lord, may your Holy Spirit convict us of our own sin, our own tendency to live like others, to live independently and self-sufficiently. And Father, may your word convict us in a way that we will come back to you and we'll lay down our lives before you that we will surrender, that we are dead and don't
life is sinking into a deep sea and drowning. But we need a Savior to jump in after us and pull us back up and breathe new air and new life into our lungs. God, would that be the effect of your word in our lives today? The truth of your word and the power of your spirit and the love you give to us as our Heavenly Father. Lord, help us to receive this. Help this word to have its way with us. And Lord, may we live according to your word, by your word, for your word, and for your glory, your majesty, your honor, and your fame. In Jesus' name we pray.